Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 26. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Hey, Van, what's up? Hey, Miss Laura. How are you? Doing well. Good. You know, we were talking in a previous episode about the heat and humidity, and it won't go away, will it? <laughs> no, no, that's uh, that's what we get for living in Texas. So when everybody else is freezing in January, though, we'll be feeling pretty good. That's right. That's always the way I feel about the thing. I'm thinking, you know, we may put up through some heck in the summertime, but you know what? In the winter, when we don't even get a day below freezing, I'm happy, and those guys up there are bundled up. So I'm just tickled to death about that. Yep, there's, there's always the trade-offs. You betcha. So, so in episode 25, we talked a little bit about the sort of the balance of patience and hard work. And I know this time you wanted to talk a little bit more practically about how patience works in training horses. So tell us what we're talking about today. Well, all right. We did. We in the previous episode we talked a lot about patience. We used another one of my favorite quotes. You know, everything comes to he who waits. So long as he who waits works like heck while he waits. And this quote to me comes. It, it, it just goes hand in hand with that previous quote. And it's this. It's kind of a sarcastic comment that I say to some people, and at the same time, I, I hope it's an encouraging comment that I say to some people. But here it is. It's he who waits the longest is the trainer. And I want people to go, well, what the heck does that mean? And and one thing I want them to mean is don't be a quitter. Ah. You see, just if, if you ask your horse to do something, be like that little kid that's bugging dad to death for a quarter at the gumball machine, man. Just keep asking until you get what you want, right? Okay. So just keep bugging it, keep bugging it, keep bugging it until you finally, finally that horse finally says, look, dude, I don't know what you want, but how's this? And see, now there's a try. And then once the horse tried, now you've got to just make up your mind. Well, is that what I wanted or is it not what I wanted? Was that on the, the, the trail that I wanted or is it off the trail that I wanted? And if it's on the trail that you want, leave them alone. Okay. And so from a practical perspective, can you give an example of what you're talking about here? Because you use the phrase, keep bugging the horse, keep bugging the horse. And yet you've told me to quit bugging my horse. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think we're, there are two different ways of using that phrase. Give us an example of what you're talking about here. Well, you don't want to nag a horse. That's okay. for sure. You know, you don't want to just nag at them and not get anything. For example, if anybody's ever watched or participated in a desensitization exercise with their horses, let's say you've got a horse that's a little bit jumpy. And you might take a little plastic bag and, and rub it with that little plastic bag. And the very second that the horse does something positive, hopefully you take the plastic bag away and you, you repeat that process. Well, you don't want to be the plastic bag to your horse. In other words, when you give your horse a cue or a command, let's just say, for example, that I'm on the ground doing groundwork and I want to pick my lead rope up and get him to flex his head to the left. And I don't want to sit there and just pull and then don't expect any sort of response from my horse and just pull and wait and wait and wait. And in the back of their mind, I don't want them thinking, well, Van's old quote was that everything comes to he who waits so long as he who waits works like heck while he's waiting. So I'm just going to wait right here until I get the response that I want. 
And then before you know it, you look up and your horse is asleep, tolerating that certain amount of discomfort on the lead rope. So we have to realize is that, you know, even though I want you to wait and I want you to be persistent, because that's the whole point of this quote is being patient and persistent. But we've got to balance that out, too. You know, and, and, and here's what I'm going to recommend to people. Visualize, if you will, horses in the pasture and they're just out there grazing, eating grass or doing whatever. And then one horse violates another horse's space. And that one horse doesn't want the other horse to violate its space. So what it might do, it might do nothing more than in the beginning than just move an ear toward that horse and, hey, don't come any closer. Well, if the invasive horse takes another stride, then the horse that's being invaded on might just raise its head and pin its ears back and say, hey, don't come any closer. Well, if the other one is dumb enough to keep on coming, then the first horse might reach up and actually bite the horse and say, hey, I said, keep out of my space. And if that doesn't work, you might see the be- the horse being invaded, wheel around and kick like heck until that horse finally gets the message and he goes out of the space. Now, here's the difference between humans and horses, though. Notice that horse did a progressive stage and went from the slightest thing of just moving an ear, and then he progressed, progressed, and he progressed until it got fairly violent. And But the moment that the horse got what it wanted was for the other horse to quit invading its space— it probably just forgot about the whole thing and went right back to eating its grass. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part for us humans, you see. Actually, both of those parts are the hard part. Oftentimes, people want to start off being too assertive, and rather than kind of working our way up into a very soft process and then getting progressive as we go, some people start off with a real aggressive approach. Well, I saw Mr. Van ride with spurs, so I'm going to go get me some spurs. And when I decide to kick my horse, I'm just going to kick the heck out of it. All I can say to that one is, hold on, lady, because you might be in for a ride that you didn't ask for. Mm. So what we want to say instead is, yes, I may have spurs on my feet, but what I might do instead of using the spurs, just barely squeeze with my calves. And if that doesn't work, then I might create a little bit more energy with my calves. In other words, I go from squeeze into a little bit more energy to where I might consider that, say, a bump. And if that doesn't work, I might kick the horse a little bit. And if that doesn't work, then I'll progress to where I want this horse to think I'm going to try to kill it. It's kind of a process I call squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. Now, the thing is, if that doesn't work, I want to keep progressing with that. And in other words, to the point to where the horse gets eventually so uncomfortable that he decides to give me some sort of motion, some sort of action. And then once I've got the action, I've just got to ask myself, well, is it in the direction that I want to go or is it not the direction I want to go. Did the horse take a step forward or did he take a step backwards? In other words, did he give me something that looks like what I wanted to achieve? So what I'm telling people is that I want people to be patient, but I also want them to be persistent. And as a result of that, in the process of you being persistent, you're also kind of waiting. But that goes back to the previous quote that we said before, wasn't it? And that everything comes to he who waits. So long as he who waits works, I kick while he waits. So that's that combination of last week's quote. And this week's quote, what we're introducing is that process of being patient and that process of being kind of proactive while we're waiting. But we've got to wait. Yeah. But but waiting, what you're saying, I think, is that waiting is not a passive thing. You're not sitting on the fence watching and waiting for something to happen, but you are taking action. And, And the other thing that I was thinking about when you were describing that process Well, there were a couple of things, but I was thinking of something as a parent. I have five kids. I've raised five kids to adulthood, which 
doesn't mean much other than I've spent a lot of time with kids. And when I talk to young moms about their kids and stuff, I say that you should not ask your kids for something that you're not prepared to enforce. Otherwise, you're just bugging them. Yes. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. Don't ask the horse for something that you're not going to enforce getting, that you're going to be patient and persistent until you get it. Otherwise, you're just bugging them and they learn that they don't have to respond. Or in a position to enforce it. Because I, I see people doing that too. Like a horse is on one side of the fence, they're on the other side of the fence, and they don't really like what the horse is doing on its side of the fence, and they yell at it. Yeah. And I almost want to laugh and like, you know what, that's like trying to scold your kid when he's in college and you're 400 miles away. Yeah. You know, it <laughs> you, you're not in a position to reinforce it. And I guarantee you, Junior's on the phone back in the dorm room rolling his eyeballs like, yeah, mom, this is not going to happen. So we, you're exactly right. We have to be in a position to enforce it, and we have to be willing to enforce it. And if we're not willing to enforce it, you're just better off by not asking, because otherwise the horse will. The horse will learn, and horses are already patient. I mean, they have infinite patience in some areas. So we have to realize that we have to be more persistent and more patient than they are. And that's where I think that kind of suits that quote. We have to be in a position to wait the longest, but while we're waiting, we've got to be proactive. And so one of the things you were talking about your squeeze, bump, kick and kill thing, and it sounds like what you're saying is you want to try and train the horse to respond at the, the lower level, but you're Absolutely. willing you're willing to go as far as you need to to get what you've asked for, but you're trying to get them to learn to respond at the you know the, with the least amount of pressure. Absolutely. You know, I learned a lesson from my granddad a long time ago. If you want to get somebody's attention, whisper. Mm. And I, I actually practiced the same thing with my kids. Weird as it may sound, practiced that with my kids because I was already a horseman for years and years and years before my daughters were born. But I noticed that sometimes I'd walk in the house and I would say something I wouldn't get the girl's attention. And, and especially back in when my girls were little, Barney was like the coolest thing on TV back in that day and time. So we watched a lot of Barney. But if I walked in the house and I tried to get their attention, I was always amazed at how they were so focused on the TV that they wouldn't hear me. So I thought about the, what my granddad said. Well, just go in the house and whisper. And I would. I'd oftentimes go in the house and I'd put myself in a position that they could kind of see me. You know, they, I'd, I'd kind of wouldn't get between them and the TV, but I'd darn sure get in a position to where they could at least see me, out of, if nothing else, out of the corner of their eye. And I would just say something audible to them, but I'd say it very quietly. And I was amazed at how many times the girls would look at me and say, what? Well, now I got your attention. Mm. So, and if I could do that, that's great. But if I didn't, then I would say it just a little bit louder. And again, all I'm looking for is just some sort of response. What? And if I got it, great. I could have a conversation. And I just gradually increased the volume until I got the girl's attention. And it got to the point because I didn't start off by trying to yell over the TV it got to the point when I walked in the room and they saw me, and if, if I had just barely uttered a word, I got their attention. And I thought, man, that worked really good with the kids. It works really good with the horses. Let's just keep practicing that process. So I always tell everybody, I don't care what the response was from your horse in a prior session or whatever, or if you write it right, even riding another horse, it might be more dull. Always start out your request that you're asking your horse in the slightest way you possibly can. And and I that's why I tell everybody a good thing just to remember is that, that what I call that squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. I just want to barely squeeze them. Just barely apply pressure. If you're on their back, squeeze them. If you're not on their back, then just maybe make a gesture toward the particular body part you want them to move. 
And if they respond to that, great. Don't increase the volume at all. If they don't, you don't increase the intensity just a little bit. And if they still don't respond, increase the intensity just a little bit. And if they still don't respond, increase the intensity. So every time you do anything, you're increasing the intensity to the point where eventually the horse will get uncomfortable enough to give you some positive change. And then the hardest part for us to do is don't chase it. Don't be like that mare in the pasture that's chasing it. What you want to do is be like the mare in the pasture that gets the response that it wants and goes right back to eating grass. In other words, turn that thing off, go all the way back down to the most calm state you can put yourself in. And that's a great practice for us as well. You know, a lot of times when I'm training with the horses, but I've got people watching me, I will tell them, okay, folks, right here, I'm going to create a, a what I'm going to call a controlled wreck. And what I mean by that is, is I'm going to add pressure to the horse to where he feels like he's under stress to the point he's going to give me some sort of response. The moment that I get the response that I want, I take the wreck away. In other words, I take the discomfort away. What that teaches the horse, and it teaches us humans to do as well, is it teaches us to learn to deal with stress very calmly. Not always do high stressful moments mean that we have to be high stress and we have to be out of control. But it's oftentimes easy for us to get that way if we don't practice the process. So part of what I'm teaching the folks here through this quote and through these exercises is to be very conscious about what it is that you're doing. Have your plan in place. Practice your patience. But at the same time, don't necessarily do so in such a passive way that you're not getting a positive reaction and a positive response out of your horse. If the response that you get from your horse is a little bit more uh, erratic than what you really want, consider that as that controlled wreck. The only thing that's going to make it a big wreck out of control is that if you fall into it. But if you stay calm and quiet, bring yourself back down, you'll bring your horse's emotions back down with you. So to me, it is just really fun stuff to practice, Laura. Well, and yeah, when you're talking about that, I'm remembering a, a situation that happened at your ranch a few years ago when you, I happened to be there when you were working with somebody else's horse in a round pen. Uh, and I think it might have been maybe the first or second time you'd put a saddle on this young horse and she just lost her mind Yeah, and just went nuts and knock down the round pen around you. And I, my, as I'm watching this thinking, is somebody going to get hurt here? The thing that I found most interesting out of the whole thing was you stood there very calmly with your, with your thumbs in your belt loops and just waited for her to finish doing what she was doing. To me, that's part of that patience and being calm in the midst of a wreck. How do you do that? How did you why were you okay to do that and not like running for your life or something? Well, in that case, I didn't want to be part of the problem. Mm. You know, the problem had nothing to do with me and had nothing to do with uh, her environment being in the round pen at that moment. She had, and she was a very tough little horse. I remember exactly the situation you're, you're speaking of, a very, very frightful horse. We'd spent a tremendous amount of time getting this horse just calm to be touched and handled. And then it got to the point where we thought, okay, she's, she's doing a lot better. Let's go ahead and get her saddled. And oftentimes when I do saddle a horse for the first time, I do so at liberty. In other words, I didn't, I don't really have anything attached to them. I just, you know, get them to where they want to stand still and allow me to put the saddle on. And, and in her case, she was fine. If you remember, she was fine mm -hmm. until she began to move around. And then she realized, oh my goodness, this darn saddle's coming with me. And rather than turning her brain off and stopping to think and respond, she literally just panicked. And in most cases, when horses do kind of panic in that situation, 
they'll figure out that their panic is not getting on the reaction and the response that they wanted. So they'll stop and they'll think things through a little bit better. Well, in her case, her panic led to her literally crashing the round pin panels and actually breaking one of the one of the things that was holding the panels together. And the panel literally came down. And in my mind, there wasn't a whole lot I could do in that situation, but just allow her to get through it and then eventually turn and ask for help. You know, I can't handle this by myself. Will somebody please help me? Yeah. And I want to be the one that she turns to when she says, I just can't handle this. And then when she stops and when she asks for help, I want to be right there. And you know what? And, and I know this really sounds strange to people, but I look at that as, as almost a, truly a biblical lesson. You know, the, the, the lesson of the prodigal son always comes to mind every time I start a cult under saddle and they get a little bit worried about that saddle. Because no matter how much prepared that I get them for, and then suddenly life happens and this horse seems to think that they can handle it on their own and they take off. Well, in my mind, I think Jesus does the same thing for us. You know, he kind of brings us up and everything's really cool. And, but then suddenly we reach this age where we think we can handle it on our own or we're in a desperate situation. And instead of turning to him, we think again, oh, it doesn't matter. I can handle this all by myself. And we try to handle those problems without him. And what can he do? Nothing. He has to be patient. He has to have faith in us and as well as in himself to just be patient and love us and wait. Yeah. And then when things get so bad, we realize, oh, yeah, I have a home. And they turn back toward Jesus and there he is and he embraces us. So in my mind, as weird as it may sound, every time I start a cult under saddle, and somewhere in there, I'm thinking, is this going to be one of those biblical moments where this horse is going to stay with me or is he going to go on his own and and discover that he can't handle it out there by himself? And well, he- and, and I think that the instinct for a lot of people who maybe don't have your level of experience would have been to be running around saying, whoa, whoa, and trying to grab the horse. And that, you know, that would have been my instinct, honestly. Well, either that or run for my life. But if you had done that, it would have just made it worse. It would have freaked her out even more. I think so too, Laura. And you know, a story really similar to that one, several years ago, I was doing a cult starting demonstration out in Southern California. A friend of mine out there brought me a colt, and he told me, he said, hey, Van, this colt's hardly ever been touched. He said, I, I apologize. I just didn't have, him time to, I didn't have any time to get him ready for you. So he is what he is. He's pretty, he's pretty snorting, pretty bronchy. Don't worry about it, Russ. I, I can handle it. Don't worry. Well, we'd start the process, and there's about 2,000 people watching me do this colt starting demonstration at this expo. And uh, I'm working my way through this thing, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, man, Russ was totally wrong about this horse. He's really doing well. He's doing nice. And long story short, I get the saddle on him and I start moving him around the round pen and he started bucking a little bit with the saddle. Nothing major, nothing bad. But then the freakiest thing happened. I mean, there's always a first for everything, right? The freakiest thing happened. The horse is bucking. And as he bucks, he literally puts his left hind leg in the stirrup. Mm-hmm. His left his left hoof, left hind hoof went in the stirrup where, where our foot would be. And as the horse struggled, his leg went further up in there until eventually he went all the way up over his hock. And you talking about a train wreck. I mean, here's this horse trying to run around bucking, and now he's trying to do it on three legs. The other leg is attached to my saddle. And all I'm thinking is, wow, this is bad. And at the same time, I just stopped what I'm doing, put exactly what we did back home with you witnessed. I put my thumbs in my pockets, and I just kind of sat there and waited. The audience was at their feet, and people were beginning to panic. And I had to very quietly say, 
Everybody stay in your seat. Everything will be all right in just a moment. And again, you could hear the rumble of the crowd. Everybody's really wanting to jump in there and save this horse. And there I was, supposedly the expert, standing in the middle, doing absolutely nothing. Until eventually the horse got tired of struggling. He literally laid down because he was on, like I said, three legs. One leg was stuck in that stirrup. He lay down on three legs. I walked over there quiet as a cucumber, pet him on the forehead, got behind him, leaned over his back, released the stirrup leather so that my, my Blevins buckle on my stirrup to let the stirrup go. And the stirrup came off. The horse stood up. I reached down and got the stirrup off his hock. Very quietly, reached back over there, put the stirrup back where it was, and I started the process as if that never happened. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, if this would have happened anywhere other than Southern California, I'd be all right. But I'm thinking every person out there, every animal rights person in the world is going to eat me up as soon as this event is over. And I was scared to death. I mean, even though the process ended phenomenally well, I actually rode the horse for the first time and he did great. But as I ended the presentation and I told everybody... Reluctantly, I said, I'm going to be answering questions right out there at my booth, so I'll meet you there in just a few moments. As I walked around the corner, Laura, there was a line there that was probably at least 100 yards long. And all I'm thinking, these are all going to be protesters that's going to skin me alive and then you know feed me to the lines or something. And I was so amazed because they said, you know what? We've seen you do cult starting demonstrations. We've seen other guys do cult starting demonstrations. We've seen this happen so many times, and yet we've never really seen anything go majorly wrong. And we were so amazed at how you handled it. You were so calm. But you see, in my mind, I had no other choice because if I would have done exactly what you said, if I would have ran to the horse yelling, whoa, 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 now the horse has got two things to be afraid of. Yeah. The saddle on his back that's running him around and his foot being hung up in it and the nut on the ground chasing him around yelling some obscene word at him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So I would have been part of the problem. Instead, I had to go back to that biblical lesson and just wait until the horse stopped, laid down, looked at me as if to say, I need help. And then the very moment that happened, that's where the trust began. Because see, he was in a bind, just like that little filly was. And if you'll remember the filly back at home, she ran out there in the pasture. She ran around for a while. And then eventually she just stopped and stood there, allowed me to walk up to her. I just took my belt off, wrapped it around her neck and let her back up there as if it never happened. And she was much, much calmer after that because that's where the trust began. She, when, when she got through with her panic and she looked for help, help was there. Yeah. And that's what I really want to emphasize to people is that whenever we have those situations come up, we don't want to be part of the problem. We instead want to be part of the solution. And then as a result, that's where the horse learns to trust us. I think that's such a great lesson, and it really ties back to the, the title of this episode, the quote that you talked about that that he who waits the longest is the trainer. You're the the willingness to wait through a situation like that makes you a resource to that horse, a safe place for that horse. The willingness to outweigh the horse that is resisting whatever you're trying to train them to do, to be the one who is willing to wait longer than the horse will wait is what makes you a trainer. And so for the person who's listening and trying to learn that lesson, the, the lesson that you talk about patience and persistence, that it's not nag, 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 but it's being patient with purpose. It's not passive at all, but it's being aware and in the moment and waiting for the right moment with that horse is a huge lesson, I think, for a lot of people who might be listening to this episode. 
You know, and that is sometimes that is the hardest work because even me, I remember the, I remember in Southern California, what was going through my mind, Laura, was I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. This crowd is about to get nuts. And all I could think of was just be calm, be patient. And that was hard work for me to do to, to be that patient. But I also realized right now I wanted to keep the crowd where they were. But this horse really needed me. He just didn't know it. Yeah. But th- I wanted to make sure that as soon as the horse asked, that I could go there. So I like to sometimes try to change that last word, you know, from he who waits the longest is the trainer. He who waits the longest is the leader. Mm. And when that opportunity presents itself for us to be the leader, then take that leadership role and be the type of leader that you want to lead you. Yeah. You know, and, and that comes down to not being reactive. Yes. My stepfather, for example, was a guy that, you know, by all practical purposes, he was a leader, but he was a leader that people wanted to fear instead of follow. Hmm. So, you know, and I'm not dogging the guy. I just learned a lot of things not to do from him, you know, because in, in this situation with him, there's no doubt in my mind, he would have roped the horse and put it in even a bigger bind and everything would have been done forcefully. And and I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong. It's just not my process. And if I looked at the majority of people and you just ask them, which sort of leader would you follow? And I think we would understand. We want that leader to be patient, understanding, and that type of leader. So that's why I tell everybody, he who waits the longest is the leader. What sort of leader do you want to be? Hmm. And then practice that behavior. Yeah, that's a great way to end. I wanted to point out one thing as I, uh, when you were talking about the squeeze, bump, kick, and kill thing, that that's a good illustration of when you talk about both patience and persistence, that the difference between nagging and being persistent is that escalation till you get to the point that you get the response that you need, but then the willingness to go back down to the lower level. I don't want that to get lost in the the other important things that you talked about here, that there's a purpose behind that approach that is very, very important in dealing with the horses and and being the leader that you want to be with your horse. And just to clarify, I want people to understand that I'm not going to kill the horse. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just want the horse to think that if it doesn't do what we need it to that it that it could get that way to them. And but uh, I want it to be uncomfortable cuz it's oh my god, you're going to kill it. That's that's Yeah, don't go tell yeah. your friends. I listened to this podcast with that Van Hargis and he's advocating for killing my horse. Right. <laughs> no. But, uh, but, but I, I want the horse to think that we're committed to do it. You know, in other words, yeah. hey, it's only going to get we're eventually going to get to the point you're going to get so uncomfortable you're going to have to give me some sort of response. So it's just it's just a word we're not it's not literal. <laughs> Good point. It's it's kind of sad that we have to say that in this day and age, but yes, that's Correct. You know, it's it's funny too, Laura. I, I laughed so hard one time. I was at a hotel room getting ready for a horse expo one time, and I just I thought, oh, I'd really like to kind of iron this crease out of this shirt. And I looked, and I when I removed the iron off the off the little place where they had it stored, there was a sticker stuck to the place that held the iron. It says, "Please do not iron clothing while on person." <laughs> and all I could think of is that man, there's somebody out there with a big old iron mark on their chest or someplace where they try to. Be, otherwise, there wouldn't be that sticker, would there? So sometimes we do have to clarify, don't we? Yeah, yeah. So that was not literal. <laughs> that was so not literal. a lot of really great information, a, a great concepts that you talked about in this episode for listeners who might have questions uh, that want to follow up on this or thoughts on this episode. There are ways you can do that, and Van loves to hear from listeners. You can uh, visit 
visit the website at vanhargis.com and see the show notes for this episode that gives a little give a little bit more information. Reach out to Van on the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page. He watches that and he does he loves to see comments from listeners there and responds to them. If you would like to share your thoughts about this episode or any questions with Van privately, you can email your comments or questions or suggestions to Van at info at vanhargis.com. I know we would love it if you would help spread the word about the podcast. A couple ways you can help do that. First of all, tell a friend. If you've got a, a friend who loves horses and who could benefit from some of the things that Van talks about on this show, let them know how to find it and how to subscribe and have your friends come and join, be part of this community. Van, I know there are some things going on at Van Hargis Horsemanship that you would like to quickly share with listeners. What's happening that's new and exciting? Well, first of all, we have a new website. It's uh, very similar to the old one, just a little bit different flow to it. And uh, with a with an improved store on there, online store, uh, very excited for people to go there and visit and, and let us know what they think about it. And uh, at the same time, we've also introduced the Van Hargis Top Hand Club. And look into that, our website. I think it's in the media section on that. There's a couple other places you can get to it. I think you can get to the Top Hand Club from the store as well. Take a gander at that. And for a whopping $4.95 a month, and that's only available for the first 1,000 subscribers to the Van Hargis Top Hand Club. The first 1,000 get this thing at a 75% discount, Laura, which is only $4.95 a month. And my goal is to always just have uh, increased value with everything that we do. Another feature or another benefit of being a member of the Van Hargis Top Hand Club is that every event, whether it be a, a clinic or a presentation that we do that charges admission, you get a discount to that, to that process or, or to a clinic. Plus, you get a discount on every one of our products uh, that's offered on the Van Hargis uh, website there. So to us, the very first purchase that you make is already going to pay for your month's membership. So we're really excited about that and looking forward to that, to, to people letting us know what you think about it and joining the Van Hargis Top Hand Club. The other thing, too, Laura, is that you know we're always in the process of scheduling new events, and we, we get tons of emails. I, I say tons. We get several inquiries uh, about doing clinics. Do you do clinics? And the answer to that is yes, emphatically. All we need is for people, if you're interested in Van Hargis coming to your your town, your area, just contact us. Let us know that you have a venue uh, and that you can accommodate up to at least 10 riders. I don't want, really, I don't like big clinics. I like to keep my clinics very uh, small and very intimate. And so we, we need arenas that can, uh, safe arenas that can accommodate up to at least 10 riders. And uh, we're always looking to do clinics and seminars with people. So please let us know if we can come to your town. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think the podcast is great. You share a lot of good information here, but there's nothing that can replace working in person with a trainer of Van's caliber. So if you're interested in having a clinic in your area or having Van come and be a part of your horse event, just send an email to info at vanhargis.com and they'll get you the information about how you can make that happen. Uh, anything else, Van? I can't think of a thing, Laura. And if there's nothing else to say, then I just want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening. Please continue to do so. Contact us every opportunity that you get and let us know what we can do to make this better for you. Because in my mind, it's all about the listeners. I want you guys to be extremely satisfied and pleased with what you're hearing from Laura and I. And, and a big shout out, too, to our producer. John does a phenomenal job, keeps us on track. And honestly, Laura, I couldn't do it without you two guys. 
And uh, if we can't think of anything else to say, then I just want to say this, that until next time, this is Van Hargis. And remember, it's your ride, your trail, and it's your journey. So ride every stride. <laughs>